EOMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. On December 3rd through the 5th, the culmination of the 2010 StarCityGames.com Open Series hits Richmond, Virginia, and this event is going to be absolutely bonkers. We're talking hundreds of players, over 60, you heard that right, $60,000 in cash prizes, live coverage on the StarCityGames.com website, tons of side events, and as much magic to gathering as we can pack into one weekend. So make plans to join StarCityGames.com in Richmond, and we'll see you there. Everybody and welcome to a special edition of EOMTG Taps. I'm Joey Pasco. This week we're excited to be showcasing Banffcast, soon to be a regular segment on EOMTG Taps, featuring our good friend and StarCityGames.com financial columnist John Medina, who will be joining us occasionally to chat about his adventures on the trading floor. Today, Big Head Joe and John talk about the misconceptions of legacy and vintage, how to get the most out of your trades, and John's explorations of MTGO. Also, a reminder, as you heard in our intro, this weekend is the StarCityGames.com 2010 Open Series and Invitational in Richmond, Virginia. Big Head Joe and I will be on site, so be sure to come on over and say hello. We'd love to meet you. And now, YoMTG Taps presents BAMFCAST. Yo, 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 welcome to the first and maybe last Mo Money Seminar. I'm Wiz, I'm with the Iceman. That's right, Mo Money. So, you're supposed to say ch- chillin'. Chillin', chillin'. Mo Money, Mo Money, Mo Money. Yeah, so, um, okay, sorry. So, anyway, uh, we're gonna, um, it's me, Big Head Joe, and I'm with my main man, John Medina, Funky J Medina. What up, dog? What's up, guys? How are you doing? I'm just one person. It's just me. It's yeah, not, I'm, not. I'm I'm talking to the studio audience, man. There is no studio audience. We're gonna do canned laugh tracks throughout this whole thing. <laughs> Somebody to find it amusing, right? So, for those of you who don't know, John Medina, introduce yourself. Um, I'm John Medina, and I write for Star City Games. I write a financial column. So, uh, yeah, that's me. What's the column called? Uh, I don't really remember, actually. It's something about getting money. Uh, oh, yeah. Mo money, money, mo money, <laughs> mo money. Yeah. You want to hear it's... something funny? Huh? The column, one of my names that I suggested was Mo Money. Yeah? <laughs> it was Mo Money, Mo Money, but they didn't want to, they didn't want to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a damn good name. So, anyway, we were just going to kind of talk tonight about making money selling cars, I guess, and about the financial aspect of magic. I'm definitely a student of John Medina's. I can't claim to be an expert, but I think I've taken a lot of the things that John has put in his articles and has posted on the web and stuff like that and kind of ran with it a little bit, just mostly because I didn't have a steady source of income. So I just was like, oh, well, I sure am at a lot of magic events, so I should probably... uh, see if I can, you know, take these principles and put them to work. And it's actually wound up being pretty profitable for me. I'm I'm moving out of my house at the end of this month, and it's mostly because of John's advice, frankly. This guy's smart. He knows what the hell he's talking about. So if you're listening to us right now, keep listening, because I'm sure you'll get something decent out of it. (laughs) Uh, And and I just want to say I'm a student 
of uh, of Big Head Joe and of being awesome. So I just pretty much <laughs> try to do what he does. I'm even trying to grow some facial hair, but uh, it doesn't really. Oh work yeah, well. it doesn't work well for Mexicans, dude. We just can't grow facial hair. Not really. All, not all burly like that, no, dude. Not normally. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's okay. I was actually just reading a Deadpool comic, and there was this guy called Whackbeard. He was a pirate, and they called him Whackbeard because his beard didn't grow in right. And he kept shooting anyone that would call him Whackbeard. So uh, <laughs> I guess tonight you're Whackbeard the pirate. Um, Arr. <laughs> aren't you glad you sold those survivals before they got banned? No. <laughs> oh, man, that's a... That's a bomb waiting to happen, dude. I don't know if I want to be touching survivals right now. What do you think? I, I have one, and, you know, I'm looking to trade it. But, I, I mean, I don't really play Legacy, so I don't really have an interest in the card, like, as a player, as someone who's looking to trade, you know, a $50 card or whatever. Absolutely, you know. I I mean, I, I, I look at Legacy as a format where I, it's almost – and I think survival might be partially to blame where it's like, it's kind of like vintage in like someone goes, okay, turn one, I'm going to do all my broken crap. And then like next player turn two goes and I'll do all my broken crap. And then it's like, whoever just did the most broken crap wins. And like, I don't know. I mean, I'm probably wrong. It's probably a short sighted view of the format, but I'm kind of a short sighted, stubborn person. So, uh, <laughs> well, as so- somebody who's actually played the format, um, I'll give my opinion. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's really short-sighted, um, a, a short-sighted view. I mean, Legacy is probably one of the, the most uh, fun and fulfilling formats there are. I mean, I haven't played it since Survival's been, like, rule in the house. But um, I've played quite a bit of Legacy, and I think the format's awesome. I also think Vintage is awesome, and... Anybody who tells you vintage is about one turn kills is just lying to you. I mean, it happens. I mean, you kill people on turn one in vintage or put them at such a disadvantage where you're just taking extra turns uh, forever. (laughs) So, I mean, that happens, but it's not the norm. Usually it's like, you know, between Force of Will, Duress, you know, Trinisphere, those kind of cards, they stop people from just going bonkers on turn one. You know what I mean? Right. It's always right. it's always smarter if you have the disruption, you know, not to try to set up a turn two. It's always smarter to just like thwart your your opponent's plans and then go for the turn three or the turn four, you know. But then it's like everyone knows that, so you try to thwart them on turn one, and then they thwart you on their turn one, and then you're like going back and forth, and it turns into these like you know, 23 turn games where you're beaten down with a dark confidant, you know, <laughs> hoping they don't draw their echoing truth or, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's totally different than I think what people view it as. Yeah. And, and I, and I mean, I have friends who play vintage. Um, my friends Lloyd and Mark Frias. I'm sure you've uh, heard Lloyd before cause he's been on the podcast quite a few times. Um, but they both play vintage. They're going up to Pennsylvania. I think this weekend to play in a vintage tournament. I've played one game of Vintage, to my credit. I, I, I wanted to play. There was, like, the Green-White Hate Bears deck. Yeah. And, and I wanted to play uh, TPS because 
it had the power in it. <laughs> like <laughs> he's like, really? So like your first game of vintage, you're going to pick up the most complicated deck in the format and try to play it. I was like, yeah, pretty much. Cause <laughs> I want to, I want to cast a mox. Cause I've never cast a mox before and I've never cast an ancestral recall. So I did, you know, it didn't seem as, as bad as it's perceived even by myself. You know, I perceive it as this really super ultra broken format, but I mean, I guess with like the most powerful nine cards in magic ever, it naturally can do some pretty powerful stuff. But, you know, I mean, I guess if you go back and, you know, like you said, you know, you try to go off on turn one person you're playing against probably has an answer to you trying to go off. So, you know, I can't, I can't judge it too harshly, I guess. Um, again, like I'm always, willing to uh i'm always willing to try to keep an open mind and that's you know kind of how i try to do things but i'm also you know a stubborn old fart who uh <laughs> is set in his ways most of the time vintage let's talk about that for a second what did you okay play? you played against the green white hate deck yes and you played uh a version was- of uh storm combo no, it was it was storm combo. It wasn't well, it wasn't a version. It was it was it was storm combo. Well, there's a bunch of different versions. Oh, fair enough. Fair In enough. Vintage like there's like pitch long, there's grim long, and like the difference is like pitch long will use like a misdirection and force a will. Grim long uses grim tutors. Like if you talk to a vintage guy, like he'll get all uppity <laughs> if you don't call his deck the right thing. Uh, well, fair enough. Th- that's a, that's a generalization, but you know. So yeah, so you played this uh, this matchup. This is a tough matchup, anyways. I mean, the hate bears they got canonist main deck, right? I don't think I ever saw a canonist. But you still lost to it with no. What they have? Uh, Gattic I don't know. I, I yeah. I think he had Gaddick Teague. I think he had Pride Mage. Um, you know, stuff like that. I don't. Re- I don't remember exactly what he had. True Believer. Yeah, True Believer. That's a pain in the butt. So yeah, the that's the thing is like, it's actually vintage is actually what got me heavily into trading. Oh yeah. Yeah, because uh, I read an article by Steve Menendian, and. Uh, he was talking about he was just talking about vintage. You know his articles are freaking super long, right? So yeah, I was reading it and I was just like, I don't know, I was just in the mood to read something like that th- that day. And the and the um the column which I had never seen before on Star City Games, but I'm sure it was on there. I just never noticed it. It was um so many insane plays, you know. Right. And I'm like, dude, that's what I want out of Magic. I want insane plays, you know. So I'm reading this guy's article and it um. It talked about, like, the latest vintage decks, and I was just like, man, these decks seem like a lot of fun. And the biggest thing that I noticed, like, whenever anyone looks at a vintage deck, they're all, they just, they look and they see Power 9, and they immediately say, I'm not going to play vintage ever, you know? Right. And when I looked at the vintage deck, I ignored the Power 9, because I'm like, I'm not going to ever have Power 9. <laughs> Let's ignore that. <laughs> okay. Because I knew that there was proxy tournaments, so I'm just like, I'm never going to have the Power 9. Let's just eliminate that. What else do I need to build a vintage deck? And all I needed really was, like, underground seas. And the rest hmm. was, like, commons and uncommons. It's like, you need brainstorms. This is before brainstorm was uh, restricted, you know? You need right. brainstorms. You need um, an echoing truth. You need a mystical tutor. You need a demonic tutor. You need a vampiric tutor. Because I played the first deck I played. It's funny because I picked up the same deck that you did. I went. I went to the like tournament reports and I was like, okay, what deck won? You know, I want to play the best deck because I, at the time, I thought like the deck that won was the best deck. Like that was my assumption. You know, so I said I'm going to play the best deck and I. 
it was a pitch long, a version of pitch long with like force of wheels and stuff. So, but I had already, I had already traded for force of wheels cause I was getting into legacy. So right. all I needed was underground seas and I already had the force of wheels. And then it was all commons and uncommons like tendrils of agony and uh, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, I built the deck, I proxied it. And like two weeks later after building the deck and proxying, it, I went to a tournament in New Hampshire at this place called uh, Myriad Games. And I had, like, the only time I played Vintage Game was, like, on the cement floor outside of Myriad Games with, <laughs> with my friends because it was, like, we were, like, oh, we should test. And there was, like, a Dunkin' Donuts there. So we got some friggin' sausage, egg, and cheese and mm. and some medium five and fives. And we were, like, okay, let's do this. So I started testing against my friends. One of them was playing Goblins. Uh, cause you know, I don't know. We're just a bunch of like dudes from Vermont. Like we don't know about vintage, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> so right, one, right. Was, one was playing d- goblins. The other one's playing like, I don't even know what they were playing, but they, they all kicked my ass while we were sitting there playing on the floor. And I'm just like, well, I don't feel very good about this tournament, you know? <laughs> right. Right. So, so we get in there and, uh, dude, I don't know what happened, but I just, I top eight at the tournament. Nice. Like, my first game I sat down, I was all, like, kind of, like, nervous and kind of almost shaking, you know? And mm-hmm. the guy's like, this is your first tournament? And I'm just like, oh, yeah, my first vintage tournament. He's like, okay. So then, like, his first turn, he, like, freaking empty the warrens me and has, like, 20 goblins on the field on the first turn, right? And he's like, <laughs> okay. And then he's like, welcome to vintage. And I'm just like, I play my land and my mocks, and I'm like, go. And then he's like, kill you. <laughs> So, so then I'm just like, I, I open up the nuts in my, in my, in my hand and I'm on the play. Right. So I'm just like ritual, ritual, Yagmas bargain, draw 19 cards, kill you. And I'm like, welcome <laughs> to vintage, you know? <laughs> nice. So I went on the top eight and ever since then, dude, I was just hooked. And, uh, you know, if you're going to build a vintage deck, it has to be temp. So that's what that's what sparked the whole trading thing because I'm like I'll never afford these pimp vintage cards because they're just astronomically insanely expensive, and uh, so then I just started to I was like well I'll just take everything I have and just start trading it you know until I have like the pimpest vintage deck I can have so yeah so I I recommend vintage man I, I think it's awesome I mean it's it's a dying format right now like. I mean, if you ever have a chance to play it, I think you should. But, I mean, those chances are few and far between right now. So, yeah. And and Legacy, have you played much Legacy or any Legacy at all? Honestly, I haven't played any. Okay. So, this will be an interesting topic about Survival of the Fittest. Because from your perspective, you're just a pure trader in this respect. All you care about right now is that Survival of the Fittest is between 45 and $50. And that's it. Right. So do you think, like, a banning would have some kind of effect on, like, some of the prices of cards that you might have in stock? Like, maybe, uh, you know, Fauna Shaman, Vengevine, you know, these kind of things? Well, I don't think it'll affect Fauna Shaman much because how much is Fauna Shaman right now in Star City? Like, 8 bucks or something? Uh, maybe even less? Probably. Probably about 8 on Star City. Yeah, Fauna Shaman is 7 bucks on Star City. Man, they are coming with the low prices these days. And this is not a Star City Games commercial. I'm not even joking here. Like, <laughs> Seriously. I mean, 7 bucks is really low for a Fauna Shaman. I was surprised because I was um, I was trading with someone and somebody wanted my Ratchet Bomb. 
And we looked it up, and it was six bucks. I was like, when the hell did it drop to six dollars? I don't know. I just didn't even know yeah. that was happening. The thing with the Star City, it's it's weird because like if you check Find Magic cards, you're looking at seven twenty seven for the cheapest fauna shaman on fine magic cards and on star city they're 699 that's what weirds me out it's like dude like if you go to findmagiccards.com you can't find a cheaper fauna shaman than star city games which honestly isn't always the case it's not always the case but that's what that's what's making it strange to me is because the same thing happened with noble hierarch earlier noble hierarch on star city games is like 7.99 and on fine magic cards the lowest noble hierarch is 9.55 that's a big difference it's a huge difference people in general they don't understand pricing sometimes so it's like you know they always are wondering like where are these prices coming from and like it's a it's a hard thing to do because whenever you're pricing a card when you're writing an article it's like usually you use the the site that you're writing for. You use their price guide, you know? Right, for right. For consistency's sake, because the people who read the site, they you're assuming that they shop there. So if you say card is X value, you know what I mean? Right. And they're going to be like, no, it's not. Like, look at the look at the site, idiot, you know? <laughs> so Right. But the problem is with the financial column, you can't really just use the site, you know, because that's not true info. The true information is like how, like where you can get these cards for X dollars. You know what I mean? Right, right. No, that makes perfect sense. When I trade with people, honestly, like I almost use Star City prices across the board. Like when I'm saying values, because the way I look at things is that people use those values more often than any others. Just because people go on their phone, they go StarCityGames.com, type in the price. So when I'm trading with people, I tend to quote those prices because they're the prices that people a lot of times look at. And some people will go, well, on eBay, you can get it for this. I'm like, yeah, but it's all, the way I put things is that it's all a scale. If the prices all seem high or all seem low, if they're all coming from the same source, then there shouldn't be too much of a problem. You know, if it, if, if like one person's pricing off eBay and the other person's pricing off Star City, you're never going to get together on values, right? Yeah, or you will and someone will just get a deal. <laughs> right. So, I mean – I don't know. So I, I always just quote those prices and like, you know, what's in my head on top of the Star City prices are like buy list values. So like I know that like if I'm trading for a card that's like equal in value on Star City to another card but is like higher on the buy list, then I know that I'm making a profit when I trade, right? Yeah, that's that's the way to trade really is this mental math, you know? I, I often tell people, like, I don't care, dude. You can call it $100 if you want. Right. You know, like, I don't care what you call it, but in my head, this number needs to needs to equate for me. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Like, when I look at a trade, no matter how even the values are, like, on Star City, if I'm not, you know, making a profit and it's not a card that I, like, specifically am, like, needing for a deck or something, then I'm going to try to work something else out. But if, you know, if it works out so that, you know, I mean, like like we were saying on the podcast you did with us a couple weeks ago, like if both parties are happy with the trade, then the trade's even, um, as far as I'm concerned. And you know, let's not get into the whole chase for an obstinate bail or a chase for a rampaging bail off debate again. Was it? But, it was um, obstinate, wasn't it? It was obstinate bail off. That's right. Ob- would be more fair, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not let's not reopen that can of worms. But you know, I mean, the simple fact is, like with a with a 
decent agreement on values. Any trade where both parties are like, yeah, that works for me. It's like, that works for me too. Thank you very much. You know, like I, like the other day, um, I traded a gatekeeper of Malakir, the FNM promo for a Gaia's Revenge. And he was looking everything up on Star City. We didn't have a price to put to gatekeepers, so we used the regular foil price mm-hmm. for a Zendikar gatekeeper. And that was five bucks. Gaia's Revenge is five bucks on there. And he was like, that's cool. You know, it was cool with me too. Mm-hmm. Just one of the things that, that I always look at are the, are the buy list values, obviously. My method of determining whether something's a good card to be trading for is the closer the buy list value is to the star city value, the more likely I am to try to pick that card up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like for instance, Vengevine. Vengevine is the most perfect example I can give of a card that I want to trade for forever. (laughs) (laughs) Because every Vengevine that I trade for is like 30 bucks in my pocket, regardless of what I trade away for it. Like, I mean, you're, I mean, obviously you're not going to trade certain things away for them, but they're like, what, I think 40 or 45 on Star City, right? I think they're 45 on Star City right now. And the buy list has them at 30. I mean, I used to be able to like, to take things like Baneslayer Angels when they were like 30 bucks, mm-hmm. right? And I could conceivably trade three Baneslayers for two Vengevines. And, you know, like the Baneslayers were being bought at like something like, I don't know. 15, fifteen bucks each, yeah, yeah. and 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 the vengevines are being bought at thirty. So it's like you make that trade, you like just it's like putting fifteen bucks in your pocket, you know. And and that's and you and it sounds like that's not a lot of money, but if you spend all day trading, and you just keep doing things like that over and over again, the money just adds up, and you're able to you know cash it in either with the vendor you're dealing with or online. And uh, and make a profit, you know, so or make. That's how you guys do it. <laughs> Man, I've been wondering about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm playing the viewer right now. You know, they're like, no. oh, light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> Ding. Ding. So I mean, it's 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 not about ripping people off. It's about incremental value, and it's about just you know, and it's about repeating, like lather, rinse, repeat all day. You know, <laughs> it's and about it's like. Rip- Repeatedly ripping people off. Yeah. <laughs> you don't exactly want to just right. do it once. <laughs> That's small time. You want to do it five hundred times. It's like you taking know. a penny from the jar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you can have the penny. I'm running away with the jar. No. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, let's 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 talk about buy lists. So, well, let me start with this. Did you see that buy list I posted? Yes. No, I I did see that buy list. That was a pretty interesting buy list. What do you think? Do you think the prices are legit on that buy list? I'm I'm just always a little hesitant to deal with people on like boards and stuff. I mean, just because I got ripped off um, a couple years ago, and ever since then it kind of soured me mm-hmm. to like trading or like buying off of message boards in general. So I've kind of stuck with vendors more often than not. But uh, I mean, those, the prices look good. I mean, like he's buying the cards at those prices, right? Yeah, yeah. See, this, this is the thing. Uh, you're right. I mean, there's some people on boards who are shady who will rip you off if you try to sell them cards or whatever, you know? Right. But there's really, I mean, people like this guy. Um, this guy, his name is Michael French. He's on the, uh, magic traders, uh, .com boards. Basically this is his deal. I actually met this guy at myriad games 
uh, okay. at, at this, uh, at the vintage tournament. Uh, I, I've been to a bunch of vintage tournaments there. So I met him at one of these vintage tournaments and this guy is as legit as they come. Like he opened his binder to show me cause I wanted to get a pimp card off him. Like a, I wanted a foil brainstorm. I think it was. And yeah. he opens his binder and his binder is his sleeves are just like almost like decrepit. Okay. You know how the sleeves start to get like yeah. a little hard to see into there. Well, his uh-huh. are, are like just packed. Okay. Thick with cards. Okay. Wow. But we're not talking about cards like, you know, prized unicorn and, you know, <laughs> stupid cards. We're talking about like foil Japanese brainstorms, like just thick in these binder sleeves, I almost like cried because they were just all just shoved <laughs> in there. And like, we're talking about like foil survivals of the fittest before there was a judge foil. These are like test prints just jammed into his binder with all of this pimp crap. So like his binders are just insane. So what he does is he lives in Japan and he gets English cards, which Japanese players I guess they prefer them. I don't know because I've never been to Japan. But the word among these kind of people, like I was talking to this guy, Michael French, and uh, and some other people who deal who do this deal. And I think um, what they do is they get these English cards, and the Japanese players prefer English cards. So in Japan, they get these Japanese cards for lower prices than they are in the States. Hmm. And some of the English cards in Japan are crazy expensive. Okay, so like Polluted Delta, for instance, back in the day when I was doing this like hardcore, uh, Polluted Delta, he was buying them at 22. You could only sell them for like 20 to 22. Like you could dream about getting 22 for a Polluted Delta on the on Magic Traders. You know what I mean? Right. And, he, and his buy price for him was 22. And I was like, when I met him, I asked him, hey, what's up with that? Why are your buy prices so high? And he said, oh, because a dealer in Japan will give me the equivalent of 35 U.S. dollars for a polluted delta. Wow, and that's great. I mean, because everyone benefits there. You know, someone like me or you are both getting, you know, as much or more than you would from like a Troll and Toad or Card Kingdom buy list, right? And yeah. um, and then he's and so he's giving us more than that, but then he's taking it out to Japan and still making a profit on it. So that's actually that's pretty sweet for all parties involved. I feel. Yeah, I mean, look at his price on Tarmogoyf. He's paying $40 on him. Jesus, that's great. And I mean, like, you know, like, the Fine Magic, the cheapest Tarmogoyf you can buy is 50 So it's like he's paying, like, only $10 less than the actual real deal price. You know what I mean? Right, the pri- right. The price you get if you have a store and overhead and whatnot. So, like, this kind of stuff is um, that you can really capitalize on as a trader is having this list memorized in your head and being like, oh well, I can get you know X dollars from this guy for for these cards. So let's so let's look at a let's look at a buy list real quick. What deck right now runs Soren Markov? Do any decks run Soren? No. I mean, I know it's a a pretty high casual card, you know. Yeah. But but like right now, I mean, I don't I don't know. I haven't traded well, for. It's a casual or a Conley Woods card, one of the two. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean. I haven't even seen a Soren Markov in a while. Like I don't, I don't even, I don't, I can't even remember the last time I saw one in someone's trade binder. I may have flipped past it or something. But like, for instance, like right now they're on Star City for thirteen bucks, which I'm sure you can trade for them at lower than that because nobody plays the card. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Nobody plays it. But they're buying them at like six fifty, which is exactly half the Star City price. Now that I look at the Star City price, but if I were out 
you know, in the field, if as it were, trading with people, I certainly wouldn't say Soren Markov's 13 bucks off the top of my head because I would never imagine that card being $13 because nobody <laughs> plays it. You know, like, yeah. I mean, I, tr- I try to be as, as, you know, as fair on those sort of prices as I possibly can, but I would never think $13 for Soren. To me, I was thinking like eight bucks in my head right now uh-huh. before I looked it up. You know, and if I were to trade for that card at like eight to 10 bucks, I'm sure somebody would go, yeah, that's fine. 10 bucks for Soren, but then I can, you know, sell it off for 650. I mean, here's a good example. Fauna Shaman could be like at the trade tables. I often wow. see it going for like eight to 10. Okay, so so okay, before when Fauna Shaman was fifteen dollars, right? Uh-huh. They were giving six fifty each on them. And that mm-hmm. was one of my major cards that I used to point to as uh-huh. far as like how to gain value in trades was mm-hmm. and it's funny because it's shifted the other way now. It's just, this is funny, so hear me out. So I was saying before, like I was telling my friends, I'm like, Yeah, so I can trade someone three fauna shamans, which is forty five dollars on Star City, uh-huh. for a Venge Vine, which is also forty five dollars on Star City, and I make twelve dollars. But now you say Fauna Shaman. Oh my God! So on Star City right now, Fauna Shamans are six ninety nine. Yeah. Troll and Toad is buying them at six. Yeah, that is so good. Like right now is the time to trade for Fauna Shamans and move them. Like that's amazing. Like that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Before, I mean, they've only dropped the price fifty cents on their buy, whereas the price has more than halved on Star City, which is what I go by when I'm quoting prices for people. Now, what is so- what are they buying Soren at? What is they're buying? So- they're buying Soren at six fifty. See, now here's the thing. So basically, they're buying Soren for more than Fauna Shaman, right? Right, right. Okay, so how many people do you know would trade a Soren Plus for a Fauna Shaman? I don't know. Well, here's the other thing. Like, if you're going by Star City prices, how many people do you know that would if they if they strictly look at Star City for values? How many people would trade you two Fauna Shamans for a Soren and like a Live Wire Lash? Who's trading for Soren? That's the whole point we were making. Nobody. Well, that. That that's that is very true, but I'm just saying, like, but there are examples of of I'm just saying there are examples of things like that where the value of a card like Soren Markov is 13 on Star City. I mean, like, I don't know, I can't think I I can't think of like a card that we could give as a better example here. But since we're on Soren, I'm stuck on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just but saying. Like, what I'm saying is this: is that there's so many people out there who would give you Soren Plus for a Fauna Shaman because. Th- the people who will want a Fauna Shaman usually are not the people who want a Soren. You know That's what I'm saying? That's a good point. Yeah. So, like, Soren is kind of that card that nobody's going to look up because they don't care about it. And if you leave numbers out of the trade, if you're talking and you say, well, you know, I'm kind of interested in your Soren, Markov. You know, you wanted the Fauna Shaman, right? They say, yeah. And I say, well, Fauna Shaman sees a lot more play than Soren. I would, I would probably do the Fauna Shaman for this Soren and this Genesis Wave or something small you know what i'm saying right and that makes sense too i mean like absolutely like that you know would make perfect sense as a trade even though it the the star city prices don't match up that's a good example of where you can take a, a you know a staple like fauna shaman and trade it for something that has more casual appeal like a soren plus something else and that makes perfect sense now another another card Another card that I like to point to as far as like buy list values is Sanguine Bond. Yeah. Sanguine Bond is garbage. You know what I mean? Sanguine Bond is one of those cards. It's like, 
it's bulk in most people's binders. You know what I mean? Like if you can, you can probably pick those up as bulk for like 10 cents each. Yeah. You I know, mean, even, even if you trade for them at a buck. Yeah. I mean, I've never traded for a Sanguine Bonnet. I think, I think I've traded for it at a dollar a few times, but most of the time it's 50 cents. Right. People, exactly. Yeah. People are fine with letting go of Sanguine Bonds for 50 cents, you know? Right. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, what, like who plays that card, but there are lists buying these cards at like ridiculous prices, you know? Yeah. It just goes to show you that, you know, playability doesn't always drive the price of cards. Right. I'm curious what Sanguine Bond is going for on Star City now. Let's see. Star City has Sanguine Bond at 350, oddly enough. I almost, I'm almost certain that nobody's going to trade those at 350 unless they're going onto that website because you never think of Sanguine Bond as a card that's worth anything. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, as far as like numbers, yeah, if they want to play the number game and go to websites, you know, and be like, okay, let's check every price. Like, I'll do that. That's fine because because we know the buy list prices, so we'll just navigate the buy list prices to make the trade so that we're making the most money we can make. You know. I- a- absolutely um but but also like you shouldn't always try to bring the prices from a website into the discussion i've always just tried to come up with something between the two people like me and the person hey what do you value that you know right and, and, I've, and, uh, I, and I've taken to doing that a lot more lately and i think it has a lot to do with the fact that i don't have a smartphone anymore <laughs> like so so i don't have the prices anymore so i really don't know them off the top of my head and i can't look them up like for my for myself even so like i can't like quote a price most of the time on something from star city because i don't really have the prices right now so you know i a lot of times i ask people like what do you value that at these days i i seem to run a little more on instinct than actual like raw numbers and that's the that's actually the way to do it i think like you got to be able to sit there like if you can't sit there and like uh and know relatively what a card's worth and where it's seeing play, like, you're probably not going to make smart trades. You know what I mean? Right. So, so it's always good. Like, I'm always, always on instinct. I'm very rarely will I check a card, like, unless it's Korean, and hmm. I want to see what eBay auctions are going for. Like, uh, and I didn't even I didn't even do that. Last trade I did um, that was kind of weird and sketchy, I traded a Korean winter orb. And a Japanese winter orb to my buddy, Jeff. And he's like a big-time pimper. So he wants all his stuff, black border, like the pimpish you can get. If he can get a whole set of Je- of Korean winter orbs, mm-hmm. you know, he would do it. So this guy has always hooked me up. He traded me um, my time twister for my, for my Power 9 set. Mm-hmm. So I always just let him get away with murder in our trades. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, because it's just like... I don't, I don't know, man. I just like the guy. You know what I mean? He's just a cool guy. <laughs> right, he, right. He just hooks me up. So I'm just like, well, whatever. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold him over the barrel for this Korean winter orb. But anyways, I didn't know the price of the Korean winter orb because it's a Korean winter orb. Who knows, who knows what the price of that is. So, right. uh, I don't even think there's one on eBay right now. I'm going to check. So yeah, we valued it at 35 and that's what we traded at. So I have no idea what a Korean winter orb is worth. I see a white border fifth edition one here. Yeah. Which is way more pimp than a black border one. Let's see. Okay, and they have four fifth edition white border ones going for ninety nine ninety nine. So twenty five wow. bucks a piece. Whoa, so maybe I did make out on that trade. Hmm. But see, this is what I'm talking about. I didn't know what a Korean winter orb was worth. So that, that that's actually really interesting to me. So 
white border fifth edition why is that more pimp than korean black border no white border fifth edition korean oh okay okay yeah now that makes sense okay i was like whoa wait a minute like english language white border fifth edition cards no fifth edition to me seems to have the worst art of any set I've ever seen. I don't know why that is, but like whenever I see the art of fifth edition, I'm like, Oh, it's like fourth edition, but with terrible art. I don't even want to get into the whole MTGO can of worms that you've got going <laughs> on. Although I heard you're selling Joey an entire blue black control deck, which is sweet. Um, <laughs> Dude, I have been just straight selling people entire decks for MTGO. Um, MTGO is like, it's so terrible to try to grind on MTGO. Like, you you do much better grinding on, like, a trade floor. But buying collections for, like, PayPal is really a service, a service-based um, mentality. If you're, like, more service-based, like, hey, just tell me what you need. I'll go get it. And, right. And, you know, I'll hook you up with a, with a good price. Because, I mean, I gave Joey a pretty good price. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if he can actually get the deck for that price without going through me. Right. No, it, it was, it, I mean, from what he told me, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Jace is a big part of that price, but like, <clears throat> that's a, that's a fine price for, for that deck. Personally, I can't justify spending real life money for computer code, <laughs> you know, but like, <laughs> but that's, ones. <laughs> yeah, but that's, but that's me, you know, I mean, I know, I mean, Magic Online is a wonderful resource. It's something I wish I would get into a little more, but like, I don't know, I, I for right now, I, I don't have the reliable internet connection. Frankly, I'm surprised we're still talking, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, like once I move, that could change. You never know. Like, uh, but I also don't like to, I'm really weird. <laughs> I don't like to deal with like banks and I really don't feel comfortable putting like my account information like on things like MTGO or like online at all, you know, uh-huh. if they sold tickets, like, like iTunes and music cards. Exactly. If they sold stuff like that. So yeah, the MTGO thing, uh, I know what you're saying about not wanting to pay real dollars for, uh, for digital stuff on the screen. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, it was one of the things that I was kind of like weary about, but um, once I so once I started dealing in MTGO and like once I sold my first like couple of Jaces, and uh, it was just kind of like wow, like man, this stuff is in demand. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And there's so much um, opportunity to to grind out a couple bucks. Now you're not going to get rich, like. You know, I'm not, like, making a hand over fist. Everyone's, like, texting me and, like, hey, dude, is your bot, like, raking in the bucks? Not really. Like, it's probably not making enough to really justify the time right now. Right. Really what it's giving me is knowledge, and that's really what I'm what I'm after for doing all this and stuff. I'm just wanting to understand the market. I want to understand how people think about MTGO. What are their thoughts, and, and how would they rather the system work? So I try to make it work that way. You know, so that I can be like kind of a little bit exceptional. Plus, I want to have digital cards because yeah. once this uh, once this thing goes to a new version, there's going to be like a blackout for bots because hmm. the the bot software is not going to be written. Okay, because this is, ah yeah, it's, it's not like it's not like Wizards of the Coast gives these bot makers like the code and like oh here's the beta, go ahead and write your bots. You know, it's like. 
once the thing gets released and people are actually using it in the public, there's going to be this blackout period where the bots are still coding and getting prepared. Well, someone needs to provide cards in that blackout period. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So like, so I want to understand, I want to have a, a really good understanding of the pricing Um, the, the, I guess the rules of business on MTGO, like what people are expecting and what people think is like a bad move or, cause sometimes you may offend people without even knowing it on there, you know? Right. Right. So it's a new market. So like, I mean, like for you, you know what I mean? So you're kind of learning the ins and outs of it. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of like why I'm doing it. I'm not really making all that much money at it. Um, I'm definitely not going negative with it now. Like I'm pretty pretty much uh going infinite ha 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 pun intended ha. nice <laughs> so I, i've been going infinite on there my standard collection on mtgo is like 4x everything awesome that's great so that's like for me so i just build stupid decks and i play in the practice tournament room or whatever you know <laughs> yeah it's like it took me like like i don't know two weeks i've had jaces for like ever on mtgo it took me like two to three weeks of playing like crappy decks before I actually made a deck with Jason, it I was just like, oh, I'm gonna play Pyromancer Ascension Valakut, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna play Poison. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that uh, I think if you're gonna play really competitively, like hardcore, I think Moto is really a good resource for that. There's always someone to play with. That's I think that's what it comes down to. And I know you can, I know you can do stuff for free on like whatever. Uh, on like workstation or whatever, um, which is where I do like most of my testing and stuff because it's, you know, free. And as you say, I'm the king of free. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So, um, thanks for joining us. And, uh, this has been, uh, very fun. All right, man. It's been fun. Take it easy. Bye. EOMTG Taps is available every Friday on StarCityGames.com. Visit our website, IWantMyMTG.com, for past episodes, t-shirts, free stickers, and more. You can contact us at EOMTGTaps at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at EOMTGTaps. Taps.